there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. All right, Tom, we have on a Ranger legend and the author of The Biggest Goal in New York Ranger History. We got Stefan Matto today. Oh, no, God, not him. We've become pretty good buddies now. We've done a lot of events together. It's like we're brothers. We got the big bald heads together and everything like that. We're going to talk about it, right? We're going to talk about my goal, right? No, we're not going to talk about that. That's just nothing. No, it's not important. How you doing, Steph? Good to see you again. Very good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you're at the game there. You're a busy man. Got your entourage with you and everything. Uh, not today. Very quiet today, but uh, the entourage is. Uh, I'm surrounded myself by good people, including yeah. yourself. So I'm very blessed by that. Yeah, we do have a lot of fun. You and I hit it off pretty good there. We uh, give each other a hard time, so I'm very happy about that. So, all right. Well, again, uh, uh, glad you're on the show with us here. We really want to talk about your life before hockey and your life after hockey too. You've done a lot of great things during the game, and you're doing a lot of great things now. So, so where'd you grow up? Where's home? Rouen, Noranda, Quebec. Oh, I was there for the, the turn when I was in the agent business. I went there. I went there. That was cold. Ooh. That was cold, and it's minus like forty-five right now. And I, uh, but I grew up uh, there, and I've uh, grew up with Pierre Turgeon. That's right. Uh, Eric Desjardins was is uh, from my hometown. Sylvain Turgeon, you probably you played against him yep. Yep. when was uh, when he was with the Hartford Whalers. Uh, Eric uh, Andre Rasico, the backup goalie for the Montreal Canadiens, he was from there. Wow. So we all grew up together. We all pushed each other. We went to school together. We dreamed together. That's good. And uh, we played street hockey, just like any other kids who dream about playing one day in the National Hockey League. But that's my that's my cool. youth growing up and playing, playing, pretending, playing for the Stanley Cup. So uh, nothing different than any other player. So no I was so surrounded you, by did, a lot of good players. Yeah. Did you guys sit and talk about it? Like the, those guys that all make it, did you guys sit and talk and listen, we're going to play in the NHL someday? Uh, well, before we dreamed about it, but uh, right. after we started to play our life went different uh, on a different place, different path. I, li- I live in West Palm Beach now. The reason why I moved to Florida is uh, Pierre Turgeon lives in Florida. And uh, it's well known that uh, we grew up together. We were best friends. And uh, even I'm 53 years old now, just we're still best friend. That's and cool. I, uh, I wanted to grow even older with him next to me. And uh, we play golf together. We have coffee together. But they... Uh, but that was my youth growing up, playing hockey, play baseball in the summer, and uh, just enjoy life. About Steph, is him and uh, Terzan were on the Little League. They made it to the Little League World Series representing oh, Canada, which is pretty cool. I didn't know that. Wow. There's only one guy who won the Stanley Cup and they won the Little League World Series. The it's boss. Chris Drury. That's right. That's and right. I'm the only one who won the Stanley Cup and went to the Little League World Series. Pierre never made it to the finals in the NHL. 
but he Pierre the, Pierre I think is the only one who made it to the uh, Little League World Series of uh, Water Hall of Fame. So uh, wow. Pierre was. I think Pierre could have make it in the major league if uh, we had access to baseball camp or facilities in my hometown. Well, he was a good athlete, wasn't he? He was a great athlete. Was uh, he was my uh, he was my good friend, but also is the one who pushed me a lot uh, throughout my career. Good. So when you started playing hockey, you're a good player right away. Uh, not really. I was a defenseman. I was the shy young defenseman, and they um, I just pretty smart, but I was very young uh, in my age group, born in September. So I was always the youngest guy in each team that I played for. And I've um, when I moved to Batham, we uh, I was too small. Believe it or not, I'm six foot four, two hundred. Yeah. 55 pounds today but they uh, back then I was too small and they moved me as a forward because I, my coaches thought I was I was going to get killed moving to Bantam and when we uh, when we were allowed to start hitting out there so uh, no I start to as a defenseman I was a smart defenseman I have a few trophies as the best defenseman in oh, tournaments wow. and then later on the following year I end up uh, moving forward and I always stay as a I always stayed as a left winger Good. So, my career. Where'd you play yeah. your junior hockey? I played um, uh, in Hall for the Hall Olympics. Now it's called the Get Snow Olympics. Right. I was fortunate. I had uh, Pat Byrne as my coach for two years. Oh. Uh, we had great teams. My first year in juniors, I barely played. I was uh, the underage. Uh, Luke Robitaille was on our team. Oh. Um, Sylvain Cote, you played against him. Yeah. He was a. He played for the Hartford Whalers for a year and a half. And then they sent him down for just that time period to go to the Memorial Cup. Uh, Benoit Brunet, Montreal Canadian player. Guy Rouleau, the best hockey player I've ever seen in my life, never made it to the National Hockey League, but he played on the same line as uh, Luke Robitaille. I think he scored like 92 goals in 62 games. He passed, uh, Guy passed away a long time ago, but he, uh, to me, was probably the best hockey junior, junior player I've ever seen wow. in my life. So I played with Luke out in LA, Luke Robitaille. And see, he's a late draft pick though, right? Like, was he a good player in junior or not that good? He was outstanding. He was slower than the Zamboni, they were saying. Like he, uh, <laughs> they, were questioning, they were questioning if he was going to make it in the National Hockey League because right. he didn't have good feet. Right. And uh, But in my first year, his last year of juniors, he scored like 190 points. Right. And he was named the best player of the, in, uh, in Canada in the junior league. And he was outstanding. But right. the juniors, as a 16, 17, you don't produce as much. But when you turn 18 and 19, that's when you start. You produce right. a lot. But right. Luke was a, a, extremely uh, talented. And uh, he became, a, a, I think, the all-time yeah. left best left winner in the league. Yeah, and it's funny how they kind of take guys like that. And they say, well, they can't skate that well, so they're not going to be players. And they overlook, like, the skill and the vision and all the shot and all that kind of stuff. So, But to, uh, to answer you, I think he was a seven round, the yeah. seventh rounders, ninth rounders or something in L.A. Yeah. And uh, yeah. he came back from uh, – he went to a camp. My first year, he came back from the, the Kings camp. He had a black guy. He ended up fighting one of the tough guys from the American Hockey League. Oh. And Luke had to prove himself sure. that he belonged to the National Hockey League. But he uh, – that's another life lesson that uh, it doesn't matter where you start. People yeah. will tell you if you're fast enough, slow enough, good enough. And Luke had to prove himself and he kept working his butt yeah. off every single summer to get better. And he was not the best skater, but he was one of the best player I've ever seen yeah. when he had the puck in the slot that he, he knew where to put it. So you, yeah. you don't score 700 goals in the national hockey league by being lucky every single yeah. time. So totally. 
And he competed hard too. Like he was not a soft player. Like he didn't back he down. He was not anymore. a soft player. Barely. Uh, he never took any nights off. And he, if he did, if if he had a night off of points, the next game, the next game, he would have six, seven points. So uh, wow. it was crazy to see him in juniors. And I later on, I played with him briefly for with the New York Rangers. It was. Uh, Fun to see him as a null stars also. So good guy. Yeah, he's a good man too. Good teammate in there too. So so where were you drafted in NHL draft? I was drafted uh, before the draft. I was interviewed by the Detroit uh, Red Wings, the New Jersey Devils, and the Calgary Flames, and was twenty one teams back then. So uh, yeah, yeah. Like I like to tell the stories. Like we're not we're not that old, but we were. Yeah. I played in a league where there was only twenty one teams, and I was the twenty uh, fifth. Overall, by the Calgary Flames. Oh wow! That was the year that Turgeon got drafted first overall, and Brendan Shanahan uh, was second overall. Right. Glenn Wesley, Jimmy Waite, uh, Joe Sakic, Darren Flory was a fifth, sixth, seventh rounder that year. Wow. So there was a look, when you look at the map of the uh, all the players that went into that 1987 draft. There's, there's some pretty good uh, players. Yeah. I was uh, 25th overall by the Calgary Flames. Very good, very good. It's hard to imagine, right, that we played in a league when there's 21 teams and now there's 32. Well, you probably played in a league when there was eight or six, <laughs> no? Six, yeah. You yeah. started, right? Yeah, we, we had the leather helmets and everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so did you play, did you jump right into the National Hockey League after the draft? No, I've, uh, was, I wasn't ready physically, mentally. I wasn't ready. I was just a six foot four, 175 pound kid, uh, a lot of speed. But mentally, I wasn't prayer. I wasn't ready. The Calgary Flames won the cup in 1989, so they were loaded. But uh, to be honest, I wasn't ready to make the team. So I made, I did two or three training camps. I finished my career in juniors, and then I went to Salt Lake City, Utah, for the Golden Eagles. I finished the season in the playoff. The following year, I made my uh, professional debut with the Golden Eagles. I played the whole year. I played 81 games that year. I never got called up once. Oh. Uh, the following year, 1991, 1991, the team was loaded. And as a player, you kind of know how many players has a one-way contract. So you look at the board, the Calgary Flames had 23 players on the contract, on the one-way contract. So there was no room. So I had a pretty decent training camp. And I went along. And the week before, Colin Pedersen, I don't know if you ever yeah. played with him. Sure. Yep. He uh, injured his knee and the verdict, he was out for the season. Right. And uh, that opened the door the week before the season started. And I, uh, Tim Sweeney, myself, were competing for the last spot on the left side. And they put me uh, one game with uh, Doug Gilmore and Theron Flory. I scored a goal. And the next game I played with Joe Neuendijk and uh, – somebody else and I scored another goal so the door opened right there made the team started the season with the the Calgary Flames and I, I never looked back wow, so, uh, I've got my famous I, I got my famous Colin Patterson story remember Shane Shirley the tough guy yeah of course so I was with the Kings and he was with the Flames and he was just a nutcase too there's a big brawl going on and I ended up with Colin Patterson he wasn't a fighter at that point in my career I wasn't much for a fighter either I had him down I was just holding him we weren't fighting or really like that and Shane Shirley got loose and he comes and grabs me but from behind. And he's yelling, you're mine, you're mine. And I'm go- I'm yelling, looking down at Colin Patterson. I'm going, no, no, I've got my man. I've got, I my, got man. my man. I'm, yeah. I'm not moving, yeah. <laughs> Patterson was dying laughing, too, because it's a pretty funny scene. But, yeah. With yeah. Kellen Patterson, to, uh, every two weeks, I would say, Colin, can you stay in? Because I was getting paid every – we were getting paid every two weeks. Right. I would come up to him every single two weeks and say, can you be out for another two weeks? <laughs> and he was laughing every single time. But I was yeah. like uh, – then I'm serious. 
Like in the minors, you make a thousand dollars every two weeks. Right. And the uh, with the Calgary Flames, I was making five or six thousand. Right. So every two weeks, every paycheck, can you stay in there? He was out for the whole year, and I think I bugged him for the for the first two or three months. And That's I, good. Uh, That's good. but I really liked the man. He played to his benefit, to his credit. He played the. He, he was out the whole year, and we lost to the Edmonton Oilers in Game Seven in the first round. And that's when he said ticket and scored three goals, uh-huh. and uh, they beat us in overtime. So right. they, uh, uh, but Colin was came back and played Game Seven. Never played a game the whole year except Game Seven. Oh wow! wow. And they set out Sergey Makarov, wow. Doug Riseborough set out one of the best player on the planet, wow. Sergey Makarov to put in Game Seven. Colin Patterson. Well, that's that says a lot about Patterson, right? Yeah. Yeah. Steph, do you remember your first goal with Calgary? It was in Winnipeg. It was a high stick against Stefan Beauregard. I didn't celebrate it because there was no way they were going to call it a fair goal. And sure enough, I was on the bench. I said, all right, the goal is great. So I was not happy because it was a high stick, but I remember that thing was my fourth or fifth game in the National Hockey League. Very cool. How many years did you spend in Calgary? Not long, like any other teams that I played for. Uh, <laughs> no, it's because everybody played, Steph- uh, played the whole year, 80 games. It was because everybody and wanted you, Steph. That's why. Everybody wanted me. Yes. I was very, yeah. And um, my second year, I got hurt. Uh, the fourth game of the season, I got a, I had a, a calcium deposit on my left thigh. And I was out for three or four months. And that's when Cliff Fletcher went from Calgary to Toronto. And Doug Reisbrot took over as the president, coach, GM, or whatever, of the Flames. And um, we didn't see eye to eye right, right from the get-go. So... When I was available, I was pretty much out for the season. They traded me to Chicago for Trent Gianni. Wow. And I said, moved to Chicago, didn't play for the first two months, and I was ready for the playoff, and we lost to the Stanley Cup Finals in 1992. Right. With, we be, uh, Pittsburgh beat us for their second straight cup in 1992. That's when I, I was introduced to Crazy Mike, and that was a crazy, uh, crazy ride being a – French Canadian, my my English was uh, was not too good, but I was an easy target, and uh, he pushed me to the limits, and uh, it was a crazy ride. But we ended up going to the Stanley Cup Finals, and uh, it was a good experience. So, do you think he got the most out of you? Like he really helped your career? I would never know. It's a good, very good question because I was uh, some players they don't need a kick in the butt to get going, yeah. and I was an easy target. Yeah, looking back, sensitive. Um, afraid to to respond, afraid to ask questions, yeah. and I kind of took it every single time. But they, uh, I think he was a. Uh, I played for him for on four different teams, played for in thirteen year career. So now that I look back, I think he really helped me. But at the time, I didn't think he was fair to be uh, him and Daryl Sutter. I didn't think it was fair at the time to be so hard on some of the players. Right. But now looking back, as if I was the coach coaching myself. I think I would have been hard on Meto also. Right. So, but there's, there's one thing about being hard. And there's another thing about just being rude and ignorant, though, right? Well, there's abusive uh, behavior, and I think uh, they crossed the line so many times, And but there was no cameras. There was no uh, uh, back then. So uh, they were hard, but that was the life that we live in. I'm not uh, yep. I'm not crucifying them on the, on the podcast today. They were really hard, but I've seen them when they when I played my best. I would play 25 minutes, 30 minutes. So I didn't yeah. complain yeah. at that yeah. time, but uh, I could not take a shift off or a night, a night off with them. And that's why I, I give them credit for to stick with me all those years. And they, uh, I, 
I can walk around with my Stanley Cup ring now okay, and go. be grateful for because they could have kicked me out and uh, would have never played again. They yeah. stick with me. They work with me, but they were hard at times. Right. So you go from Chicago to the Rangers? I went to Chicago to the Rangers in 1994. There was rumors, but we didn't have uh, uh, iPads or yeah. uh, we didn't know. We heard some rumors, but I didn't read the papers. Uh, I was unhappy in Chicago. I guess they were not unhappy the way I played at the time. And the deadline, I think it was 1 o'clock or 12 o'clock in Chicago time. And there was an optional practice. No coaches were on the ice. So I knew something. I felt, you know, like you yeah. have the feeling that you're going to go somewhere, but you still don't know where you're going to be. Uh, at the end of the day, so it was 12, 15, the past, I was looking at the clock and every minute was coming every, like so slow as 12, 16, the deadline was at 12, 12, 22, I made one, I was the only one left in the building on the ice and I did the final lap and Paul Baxter, my assistant coach at the time, was, um, come over here, so, oh boy, I get traded, I still don't know where, right. and he goes, management wants to talk to you upstairs. And I've, uh, I joked about it. I said, well, can you tell them that I'll talk to them tomorrow? I had a very stressful day. And <laughs> he looked at me and was like, come on, Moran, just freaking go up there. And you got traded. But he didn't tell me anywhere right. where I was uh, going to. And so Bob Polford, uh, Daryl Sutter, Baxter were all in the office. And they all had their head down. And uh, I, that's when I found out I got traded to the Rangers for Tony Amani oh, and right. uh, Brian Noonan, two for one. So... Uh, now, to my surprise, because we played the Rangers a few weeks before and we got smoked in Chicago. And to me, my first impression, I've said that many times uh, over the years, that I thought I was going to be there for safety. Just in case someone was going to get uh, injured, I would they would put me in because I was pretty good at filling holes and stuff. Sure. So uh, to my surprise, we flew to Calgary the very next day, Brian and I, and I looked at one of the most beautiful board ever, Brave, Messi, Anderson, Metto, Kovalev, Larmer, and I had—I didn't have a cell phone, but I would have taken a picture. Yeah. And that's when I found out I was all right. He made the trade. There was no injury uh, reported, so all right, I'm on the second line. Just don't screw it up. Just <laughs> play your game. And I've—I uh, never happened in my career. We were down by a goal, and we pulled a goalie out, and Keenan kicked me in the butt. All right, you go. I turned around. So where do you want me to go? Get on the freaking ice. And I tied the game with 25 seconds left in the game. Everyone jumped because I haven't introduced myself yet because right. we, we got there. So that's my that was my introduction as a New York Rangers. Wow. The next night I scored in Edmonton, and but that's to, to the credit to the, the 1994 players. They were amazing. They welcomed me pretty fast, and Mike Keen and uh, he trusted me, put me on the second line, and I. The history is uh, the, yeah. the history. What should we yeah. say? Or who would have known them? Definitely. Well, that's a real compliment to you, right? As much as Keenan picked on you all the time, you know, he obviously had a role in trading for you and then putting you on that yeah. second line, right? So it says a lot about you and your career. So, yep, good job, Steph. When you came, did you guys know that you had a shot at the cup that year? And with the Rangers, yeah, of course, they were the best team in the league, and they were the fastest team. And I remember when I played them in Chicago with Messier and all the. Like that, that was the fastest game I ever played in my career. It's like I tried to explain that to people. You are standing on the highway with the moped and you get on the highway, like everything is going so fast. And then sometime in the NHL, if you're not ready, uh, the game can be very, very fast. And my first game, I, 
that game against the Rangers in that the, the old Chicago Stadium uh, was no exception. Like it was, they were so good. They moved the puck so well, and they they kicked our they kicked our butt. So that's why uh, when I got traded, they traded. They they made so many moves that day. I came in, Noonan came in, Anderson, McTavish came in. Uh, that's a lot of players. Five, four or five players coming in, four or five coming out. So uh, there was a lot of movement, a lot of excitement. And right, right away, they were talking about the Stanley Cup. They were not just talking about, all right, let's hope that we're going to do pretty good there. Uh, let's win for this. That, that was the language that, uh, without being cocky, it was very uh, respectful. But let's win. And the games that we lost, it was, all right, let's concentrate uh, let's concentrate on the next team. And uh, yeah. that was an amazing two, two and a half months that I experienced. Did you uh, score any big goals at all during that playoffs? Or? I scored the uh, first goal, first game against the Islanders. I thought we we beat them 6 nothing. I know where you're going with that, but it's, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, play, I'll play along with you. Yeah, there I you scored go. my yeah. first goal against the Islanders, and I thought that was the biggest goal ever. Yeah. And it was a buildup. I scored two goals against the Islanders, one goal against uh, Washington in the second round. And then I played my worst game. Talking about the ups and downs of the game. And first game, we went to double overtime. I must have gave away the puck about 10 times. <laughs> Stefan Ricci <laughs> on the other team. Bernie Nichols, Nick Nichols would freaking call my name. I would pass it to him right <laughs> on his stick and he would be laughing right in my... So that's how nervous I was. We lost the game in the in the uh, double overtime. Steph Richie scored a winning goal, and we had a day off the next day. I went to play golf with a friend of mine from Calgary. I couldn't even finish the first nine hole because my head was spinning. Right, right. I'm gonna lose. We're gonna lose it because that's the thing with me. I was really hard on myself when things were not going well, and that game was totally a shock. Like I was depressed, uh, not fun to be around, and I couldn't even finish the uh, the round. And the next day we we beat the Devils, or two days later, tied the game, and then game three I scored my first double overtime goal in New Jersey. I thought that was the biggest goal. All right, I can retire right now. And the moment was amazing, especially in the third round. And see, I think a lot of people forget that you scored that goal, right? They think I about the next. Forget it. Some people, it was one of the because the, I think people forget it because game seven was yeah. such a yeah. dramatic, stressful, iconic goal moment. At the garden, so uh, I didn't forget that one. But uh, to me, I was very. I was. I remember I was on the ice with Kovalev and um, Glenn Anderson, and I like to watch that replay. That thing was just crazy. Players were falling all over the place. There was a lot of hooking, diving, slashing. The referee was just like, "I'm not calling anything." And uh, sure enough, I was lucky enough to put that puck. Not a great goal, but that's where I made my living in front of the net. And I had a week uh, back and shot between uh, brother's leg and the puck went in. And they, uh, the celebration, I wish I could change your celebration. I uh, didn't know what to do with it. But they, uh, the moment was very special, uh, especially my first double overtime goal. Right. So now so now we go to game seven. Well, go to game six first. Okay. Well, that's, a, that's a good point. Game six was the, the, the game of the game in my yep. close to a thousand games in my career. That was the game. Uh, as a spectator, because I sat on the bench, I didn't have I didn't have a role whatsoever in that game. They scored two goals, two quick goals in the first ten minutes, if I recall. And Keenan called a timeout, and uh, everything was silent. We are going home. If we don't do anything about it, we are going home. And all the hopes and the dreams, and we were we were going to be known one of the uh, 
one of the biggest choking team, even though we're playing against a very good team in the, in the Devils. And then Keenan didn't change lines often, but that moment he put uh, Kovalev, Adam Graves, and uh, Mark Messier, and uh, uh, Leachy, these courts, I think they had like three points each, four points each. And that was one of the most iconic game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and awesome. sure enough, Messi scored a hat trick in the third. The place went crazy. That set up for game seven. Richter was amazing. Well, he was, uh, if he was in there, like he, we would have been easily down five to six, nothing. And that we would not be talking right now. So uh, there was a lot of things uh, had to come in place. But the, the, the leadership of our team, players we never talk about, Kevin Lowe's, McTavish, Essa Tikin, and Adam Graves. Players with you, except Adam Grace, but some of the most iconic, uh, best leaders of all time, they were there and they were pushing us young players and to be positive. And sure enough, winning that game lift a lot of weight. Now, instead of being scared, we're going to game seven at Madison Square Garden, all excited. Uh, the, the, we could fly, the injuries, you don't feel anything. I could have played with two broken, two broken feet. <laughs> uh, and uh, two separate shoulders that game was just like the hype was just amazing and Leachy scored a big beautiful wraparound behind the net goal to start the, to start the game and uh, the game was just it was just amazing amazing game until the point seven left right we're on the bench counting the seconds and sure enough Zelepukin scored and they tied the game and right. we sat down except the Devils fans screaming in the stands uh, that was a pretty uh, intense moment. What's it like in the rock locker room then when you come back in after that? It was a shock, but the the, the data that we accumulate the last two or three months, all right, I was very quiet for the first five, ten minutes, first seven minutes because everything, it's under the clock. We have 17 minutes before we go in between periods. The first five minutes, uh, I don't think guys were breaking sticks and stuff, There was, but it was very, very quiet. Right. And... Um, and sure enough, Keenan came in and he had a very good speech uh, to his credit. And Messi stood up, uh, Leach stood up, and all the Edmonton orders who won Stanley Cup before, they all stood up. And me, Kovalev, Karpetsev, we're all the younger players on the team. We stood up, all right, we're going to follow them and let's get going. So uh, we went back on the ice. I don't think we were nervous, but uh, Richter had to make some big saves in the first overtime for us to stay in the game. But then... Uh, and that second overtime started was the uh, magic moment that changed my life. <laughs> it did. Like, I didn't know you at that time, right? All I saw was that video. You see it over and over and over. Yeah. Well, uh, so yeah. what, what's going through your head that you scored the goal? What's what's going through your head? You know what? It's, I can't change my story, but though it's been 20, 28 years. When I could say, like, I was fully confident. I was, I was, I was happy with my first overtime goal right. that I scored. But I felt, all right, I can do it. I've done it before. We all dream about it growing up. Yeah. Uh, the dreams are there. You, even though you're professional, you're still a kid going. You just, sure. You're still a game. And I remember tying my skates. There was two minutes left. Messi's line always started each period that we played on. We started the game period and everything. Messier, Graves, and Anderson started every line, every period. So I broke my lace, then panicked. I was very calm, but panicked occurred. I had to change my lace, and all the players were on the ice. And I, I heard the uh, the puck drop. I know my line was second or third. And Eddie Olchek came in because the Black Aces, who were not playing that game, instead of being in the press box for overtime, they stayed. They sneak in the uh, 
in the changing room next door. So when he found out that all the players were on the ice, he came out. And I said, Eddie, please, please give me some luck, right? So I gave him my stick while I'm fixing my skate. And he started dancing with my skate, my stick, and his oh, kiss. Oh, Come on, Maddie. Like, we were laughing. That's funny. I was laughing. I said, I, that's, I'm not kidding. When I told him, I said, I'll be back with the winning goal five oh, or six oh. minutes later. So I'll score the goal for us, and I'll uh, I'll make it happen. I lied to him. I think I scored four minutes into the period, <laughs> but I've uh, it was a magical. Mo- everything was in slow motion. Yeah, everything was in slow motion. Uh, I saw the puck coming back in our zone, in their zone, in the corner. I had a very good st- step on uh, Nieder Meyer, and he started to hook me. So I did not have a plan whatsoever. I wanted to go short side, but not good enough to go on that side. So I can, I went around the net and Nina Meyer, if you look at the video, I've seen it about 100,000 times. And then I kind of turned towards the middle of the net and I just put it somewhere. I didn't aim at anyone. I didn't see any sticks or skates. And sure enough, brothers, uh, he went from right to left. I hit his blocker while he went down and the puck went between his legs. Oh. And I'm looking at the puck going in I said, oh, Jesus, we're going to freaking goal. And then we are going to the stand. I didn't think about my personal success. I thought about being a good team uh, player. Uh, I said, we're going to the Stanley Cup. We are going to the Stanley Cup final. And that was a magical moment. I I tell everyone that if I could fly that day, I would have fly around the Madison Square Garden. I would high-five everyone. That's how much I felt. That's that happiness. To the highest level. Steph, do you have that? Do you have that puck? I wish. It's got to be I didn't. Keep, yeah. I didn't keep anything. I look at the videos. Brothers on his back, on his on his butt, and he just wiped the puck out. Oh. And if I thought about it, I would should have just jump on it. But that's. But I don't think back then sweat jerseys, sticks, gloves, were. I didn't keep any of it except my old skates. That I've uh, now it's now it's in the garden. When they redid the garden a few years ago, they asked me if I had a piece of equipment from the '94. So I gave them my skates. So okay. in the, they're in display in the concourse uh, upstairs. So they have I have a nice little plaque there, the Mato Mato moment. So uh, okay. pretty wow. special. But I I wish I could have keep my sticks. Everything I would have changed everything. I play with a broken stick. When I look at the video, we used to put fiberglass on our wooden stick. Right and. I was a little freak back then. I only had one pair of skates. I didn't have a backup pair. The trainer, Steph, your skates are so beat. They were three years old. I practiced and gamed every single day with those skates. And uh, my stick was broken, but I loved the stick. So I scored with a broken stick. So oh, did you? Really, yeah. Oh, wow. Because I never used slap shots back then. I never I never controlled the pucks. I didn't need a great stick. I just needed a comfortable stick. So when it's time, was needed. Yeah. So... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So then we'll fast forward a little bit here. You go and win the Stanley Cup. Now, I never won the Stanley Cup. I was in the semifinals twice. I can't imagine what it's like to win the Stanley Cup. How was it for you? We uh, The biggest hurdle we had was the Devils, obviously, two of the best team in the National Hockey League, but we still had to produce. Game one, we lost uh, We lost to Vancouver. Greg Adams, I think, scored. Yep. If, I think he scored the first. We lost first the first game, and then we won the next three. Down uh, three. We were up three to one. Uh, no. Yeah, you're up three to one, yeah. Vancouver, yeah, they, they came back, yeah. Yeah. Game five, we lost at the Garden. We we went to Vancouver. We we lost. Jeff Brown scored two goals. Uh, we lost game six. Was the longest flight ever coming back to New York, but uh, was a that was another great experience. Now looking back, so then another game seven. That was another uh, another great experience. So uh, so then after the Rangers, you stay with the Rangers the next season. I went to the Rangers. Uh, we went to a, a lockout the following year. Oh, that's right. Yep. And I still had a one-year contract. I've, I we showed up in camp. I was out of shape because they said the kid the season was going to be canceled yeah. over and over. That I think that was the the the, um, the pressure the NHL said we're going to cancel. So I didn't work out whatsoever. So after Christmas, they called us. We have to be in New York in two days, and the season started in a week. We should not gloss over that night. You know, that was a crazy night in New York, and then there's a parade, too. That's got to be something really cool to be involved in, right, Steph? The parade was too short to me. It was like uh, one of those people, like a million people outside, and they. Uh, it took a while to get the crowd. Because people recognize their football their football players, their baseball players, the Yankees, and but people don't recognize us without our helmet. Sure. So we all, we all had our jersey on. We were like, I was waving at everyone, but I was looking straight forward. And then I get hammered by a toilet uh, roll of toilet paper, and I turn around, and while I throw it back in the stands, people saw my name. Oh, and then the whole roar of people on my left start screaming, Meto, like, the, and then I said, wow, that was so loud for myself. Yeah, yeah. And then when I turn left, the crowd people on the right start going crazy. So, and then when I realized I could play the crowd like this, the, the parade was over. But that was a magic, another magic moment at the Garden, Game 7. The parade, um, just the, uh, the the two months of hard hockey, and just uh, to be re- rewarded and lifting the Stanley Cup, that was just amazing. Good. So it's all done. How many more years did you just? That was it for your New York Ranger career. Rangers. I played the following year. That's when Colin Campbell came came on board. Uh, didn't start well with them. I was the Mike Keenan's boy. I came into oh. camp. Now I look back. Instead of blaming uh, Colin Campbell, I came into camp uh, in totally out of shape, so I didn't start well with him, and I got myself in trouble. I didn't play much, even though I was the hero a few months before. Sure. I didn't play much the following year, and it was just a matter of time. I got traded the following year 
we lost to well that year we lost to Philly in the second round. We get pushed around. They traded uh, Zubov. Uh, I get traded to St. Louis the following year for Ian Lapierre. I played for uh, Keenan again for two two and a half years in St. Louis. I had a chance to play with my buddy Turjan, but also play with Wayne Gretzky, Brett Hall. You know, people don't know that, but I played five shifts with uh, Brett Hall and Wayne Gretzky. I had five points. Oh, did you really? <laughs> and I, I said, I went to our our assistant coach at the time. I said, uh, "What's the, what, what's the issue? Like, I have five points in five shifts. I should be playing more often." He goes, "Steph, you should have eight. You're slowing, <laughs> you're slowing them down." Like, uh, I said, "All right, I'm going back to my second or third or fourth uh, line." So that was uh, that was a magic. When he got traded to the Blues, we didn't know how to call them. Yeah. Could we call him Wayne? You play with him in LA, right? Yeah, that was the same so, thing. I was in LA first, and then he got there. It's the same thing. It's like, holy, we're gonna oh, how do we call him, Mister yeah. Gretzky? You yeah. can't do that. Like uh, yeah. Wayne, he's not my buddy. So we, uh, I assisted on his first goal as the St. Louis Blues, his first game in Vancouver. So he made a book, a Gretzky book or something, and they, uh, in the picture, you see my me jumping, Raymond, and I hit his helmet, and his helmet was up to his face, and me. Gretzky and Hall, and that's, that's, that's my running joke for the last uh, combined. We have the best line in hockey. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have 5,000 points uh, combined, so uh, only have 300. The rest, the, the other two have the rest. So uh, That's cool. And how many years of St. Louis? Then? Two and a half years. Uh, we had great teams. Um, then I got traded to St. Uh, to St. Jose Sharks. I played there for – that's the longest I played, five years. We had great teams. It's a great city to play for. Uh, but we had to, we were against uh, the Colorado Avalanche. They won a few, the Dallas Stars and the Red Wings. So we had no chance, to my opinion, that we were good, but compared to those three uh, teams at the time, it was almost impossible to uh, to, to beat them. Right. Then I retired for the, I, went, I was a free agent my last year. I played and I signed with the Florida Panthers for one year. Keenan was there. I called Mike, I said, Mike, I need a I need a I need a chance here. Things are not going well here. I said, all right, that's uh, we'll sign you up for one year, and then uh, two month two months into the season, I was out of the lineup, oh. not physically, not mentally prepared to retire. Um, I didn't so I, I didn't finish like Michael Jordan finishing up on his uh, on the winning shot. But they uh, it was a long year, but it was a good learning uh, learn good learning season for myself in my in my life. So you knew at that time your career was over. Thirty, yeah. I didn't. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone I was retiring. I didn't know I was retiring. There was ten minutes left in the game. We were out of the playoff with the Panthers, and that's the only time I missed the playoff in my life. Thirteen-year oh. career, my last year with the the Panthers, and I said, "That's it. I can't take that crap anymore." Oh. And I started crying on the ice, I, on the bench. I'm like, I didn't tell anyone. I uh, I said, "That's it. That's I can." That I was thirty-three. And I scored on my last shift oh. and the, against the Flyers. Jeronic was on the Flyers. He goes, Steph, your last goal, we were supposed to have a bonus for the best defensive team in the league. So I don't give a crap about your <laughs> So anyway, I, I scored with two minutes left in the, in the, in the, in the, in the game, and I, uh, I call it quit right after. I didn't announce oh. anyone. I didn't have a press conference. I went home. I went home, didn't tell anyone, and that's how I felt for the next for the that's how I felt for the next three or four years. So how, how were you feeling then at that point when you knew hockey was over for it? How were you feeling mentally? Uh, mentally, I was lost. Uh, physically, I was okay. I was lucky enough to be uh, 
except a few concussion that we all had through our career. But uh, I felt, I always felt the first three, three or four years of my retirement, I, I was, I didn't have a complete uh, career. Oh. I've uh, a lot of a high, a lot, a few highs, but mostly a lot of disappointment. I was really hard on myself. Yeah. Uh, growing up, I was the same way. And carrying on in my in my career as a professional, I was really really hard on myself. And when I retired, man, I should have done better. Mm-hmm. I should have done better. I should have done this. But talking to my teammates who retired the same stuff, I think we're all going through the same thing. Yeah. Totally. Uh, a lot of us go struggles. Not not all of us are Wayne Gretzky or Luke Robitaille or Brett Hall. A lot of us has to grind it out. I grind it out for 13 years. Now I look back, man, I played 13 years, over 850 games, uh, 12 years in the playoff, once down. So I accomplished a lot. But it took me, the question is like three or four years. It, I was at lost. I didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't think I needed to do something in my life. And then after three or four years of drinking coffee with my friends in, in Montreal, Donald Odette and uh, Patrick Poulin, I said, all right, maybe I need to do something else. So uh, I bought a travel agency. I love traveling. I bought a travel agency. I got to organize a lot of group travel, but I was still uncomfortable going into the office and looking at people coming in the office and say, well, you won the Stanley Cup and now you're standing behind a desk uh, selling trips. I was still hard on myself. So I kind of, I didn't like that feeling, but that was the pressure that I put on myself. But they, uh, then I was a rep. I was a rep for a hockey stick, combat stick. I was a rep. I had 12 NHL team. I did not sell one. I didn't believe in the product. Oh. Um, I didn't believe in sales, but I like to travel. So I went to some of the, uh, I went to see some trainers and never, I didn't sell one stick. So I, I kind of, they let me go after the, the next season. <laughs> not one stick. So no. do you still look at yourself that way that you think you did, didn't get enough out of your career as you should have? Uh, no, I've worked on myself a lot. I had so I had to seek for help. I needed to. Uh, I need to convince myself I'm good enough, pretty enough. Uh, it's all those things that a lot of people they go through and just like, all right, if I'm with next to Wayne Gretzky or Mark Messi, I feel less of a person. But when I'm with someone who played 50 games, I would be like it was it like the ups and downs of my life. But now I'm level. I meet a lot of people in New York. I've been here for a few years now. I feel good about myself. I feel good what I'm doing with my school program. I, I feel good what I'm doing with the kids. And surely when I look at myself in the mirror, I feel good about myself. Yeah. I think a lot of us judge ourselves based on our careers. Yeah. Right. And it's such a small part of our life, right? That's I'm just true. a hockey player. Yeah. Like when people ask me, what do you do? Well, I was just a hockey player. Yeah. Just like I put myself down many, yeah. too many times over the years. And then I, I was a pretty good, I played, we were uh, one of some of the best hockey players in the world. Yeah. And uh, of course, if you compare yourself, your career to other players, man, you can crush yourself over yeah. and over. But I'm satisfied today with the career that I have. Right. And it's, and again, the career is just a small part of your life. Like, I, I'm sure the same way. I love playing in the National Hockey League. I was very proud of myself. I made it there, played for 11 years. That's all great. <clears throat> but I view myself, and I think you, you're starting to do this too. I feel better about myself now. I, again, I, not to diminish the game or the people in it. It was fantastic. But again, that's that's hockey. That's not really who you are as a person. Not, that's not who I am yeah. as a person either. That doesn't define who we really are. So, yeah. So you've gotten to that point in your life? I'm, I'm very comfortable today. I'm still, have to, I'm still working on myself. 
I um, been sober for 21 years. Oh. I'm very proud of that. It's one day at a time. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to share uh, to share that with anyone. I help a lot of people along the way for the last uh, 15 years. I help myself. They help me. So they 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 showed me to help others, and that that part is I'm very comfortable. So good, good deal. Have you ever dreamed of being a pro hockey player, skating on the same professional ice as your hockey heroes? Hockey XP gives you that chance. Join us and live your pro hockey dream for one night. A Hockey XP event gives you the full professional experience. A ticket to an NHL game. A chance to network with other hockey enthusiasts. Meet new teammates and make new connections. An event-themed jersey and a swag bag full of sponsored gifts. You'll dress in pro locker rooms and sit on pro benches. And you'll play a full game on professional ice with professional referees. Join us Tuesday, March 28th at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Or Thursday, April 6th at the UBS Arena on Long Island for a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Spots are selling out fast. Go to HockeyXP.com to register. So um, you've got your school now that you've talked about. What is that? I started to, well, one of the process after my career, what, what am I good at? I'm good with kids. I'm good with two, two very generous personality, a generous person. So I, I met someone, his name is Steve Capoferri. I met him 13 years ago at Mark Messier Leadership Camp in New York. Steve paid $11,000 to be in Mark Messier Leadership Camp. But Steve is a Flyers fan from Philly, oh, from wow. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He was by himself, but he was intrigued by Messier by uh, Mark Messier. So first day I met him, I crossed path with him. He's on his phone. I don't even know if his phone is on enough, but you know, a lot of people, they cover themselves with their cell phone. So don't bother, don't bother me. Like I've done it before. And I said, sir, are you, are you, are you on vacation? Are you working? So no, no. I said, well, if you're not on, if you're not working, park your freaking phone and enjoy the weekend. So I stick with, I stayed with him for the, for the next three days find out that he had a private schools and alternative school program in Pennsylvania, trouble kids who cannot, uh, who get suspended from a program from schools and Steve's program. Uh, it's like a uh, sentence. They go there for a month, two months, three months, a year, two years, three years, but he brings athletes in, try to bring the good words. So I've, uh, I worked for him for 13 straight years. I would drive from Montreal once a month. I would go see the kids and try to make a difference in their in their life. So uh, I started to build a relationship with the program, and then I started my own program in the Bronx when I when I was approached to to do my own program here. It's called Make Your Moment Program. I have a book attached to it, and I uh, uh, the kids they all have a book. We go through it, and in my book I talk about uh, things that we talked about the last uh, forty minutes. About I had I was severe, uh, I had severe anxiety attack, uh, very low self esteem of myself, and I, in my book I read about uh, I read about I don't read the kids read it, and I we pause what in what is uh, anxiety means to you, and the kids well when you're nervous you're scared, and the kids they they don't know that but it's like a group therapy, so the kids they talk to each other so the session lasts about two hours and uh, and we go through I might uh, then I. I mean about fifteen different. I mean, I mean about fifteen, twenty different schools in the Bronx, Brooklyn, North Rockland, uh, Queens, 
Long Island now want to expand in New Jersey and there's some schools who approach me. So uh, we do about a thousand kids. A, uh, we teach, I teach about a thousand kids a, a year and uh, I have an after school program, the Metal Gold Club. Very and cool. we, set, we set goals and we try to achieve them. The next month when I see them again, so let's talk about the goals that you set. And it's, uh, it's always, we try to be as positive as possible. Cool. A lot of those kids, they go through, uh, not all of them, but more, a lot of them, they uh, not, they go through some, uh, they, go, they have a broken home. They come to school to try to escape. And I try to uh, make them, uh, try to teach them to be happy. When I'm Steph, Steph, where can we find information about that? You have it's a, website? a good question. It's a make, uh, well, the book, it's easy. It's the Make It, make it Happen series. You can find it. But my program, it's called Make, a, uh, make Your Moment Program. It's on the internet. And I've, uh, like I said, I keep receiving phone calls every single day. A lot of a lot of uh, principals are big Ranger fans. That helps when I go in there. But my personality, that when they resign the contract with me, that they, uh, they, uh, they, it's because they know I know they know I'm there for real. I'm there for the right reason. And uh, Adam Graves came in with me. Jeff Nielsen from the Yankees came with me. I like to expand my program. That next uh, then in the uh, the next year or two, I like to bring more Knicks because a lot of a lot of kids are from the Bronx. They're bas- they're huge basketball fans. They're big Knicks, uh, uh, Giants, or Jets fans. So I like to bring yeah. more more of different athletes into my program. Right. So, so it's called Make Make Your Moment, is what it's called. Make Your Moment program. Yep, I created it. I'm the CEO, and no one can fire me. So uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. So you've gone through a lot. That, so you had low self-esteem through all this time through the national hockey. League. You score the huge goals and overtimes. You win the Stanley cup. You've got this low self-esteem su- suffering from anxiety. And you feel like now, are you to the point now where you love yourself? It's a process every single day. Like uh, very sen- I'm being very sensitive, but I, I get less affected for the little things happening in my life. Right. And I've, uh, I've learned over the years. And I, I used to keep everything inside. Now I talk to people. I would yeah. call Pierre. I would call. I would see you at the garden. I would talk to you. Maybe not on a personal note, but I'm not afraid to talk to someone. Yeah. And knowing from the through the program that uh, don't keep everything. That's what I try to teach teach the kids. I said you might you might think that's the end of the world for you right now, but if you can just find the courage to talk to someone, yeah. and maybe that day could just like all right instead of doing instead of doing something stupid. Uh, that would just like, all right, uh, I'll be all right. So, is that true that we we used to worry so much about what other people thought of us? Like we didn't want to open up or uh, seem like we were weak or anything like that. And now, like I'm the same as you, I open up and I say like this, and I love you or I love myself or whatever it is. We talk about passion and everything, and I wouldn't have talked like that before. And now I realize people are actually respecting us more because we do talk like that, right? Well, the, that's a good point. Like I, I would not go to a room if I thought people would be looking at me just like uh, if, and Mark Messier, just to give you an example, Mark, the night that they retired Mark Messier uh, uh, jersey at the garden, there was a uh, there was a party on the uh, a huge part. Cool and the gang was there. And because I walked late in the, into the meeting to, to, to the party, I walked there by myself. I was crawling the walls. And I left after two minutes. I had panic attacks. And I, I started walking around New York City. And I said, what am I doing? So I was lost for many, even though I, after I retired. But the last, I would say the last 10, 12 years, having a sponsor in the program, talking to people and telling my story to others, realizing I'm not the only one. And I've, uh, I'm not there to change the world. But ever since my story came out a few years ago, 
people come up to me and say, well, I've been sober for two years. Two games ago at the Garden, I've been sober for, like, we, you hug him, like, keep going. If you need, if you ever need, I give them my phone number. You can call me anytime. So uh, I'm not the only one. And it's a, uh, I'm, I'm much stronger yeah. with, with, with some, some surrounded by good people than if I'm by myself at a, at, inside a hotel room. Totally, yeah. and, and you're making a difference in people's lives too, right? Like by opening up and sharing your experiences, you're not weaker, you're stronger. That's the big thing, right? People looking at you like, wow, that's he's incredible, man. Look at all the things he did, all, uh, how he was feeling, why he's going through that, how he's changed his life now and how he's changing other people's lives. So you should be very proud of yourself. That's fantastic. Thank you. One day at a time, one day at a time. Today, I'm having a good day. I'm talking to you guys. There you go. I'm there having you. a very good, I'm very grateful. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And, uh, so one more time, the name of your program then? Make Your Moment program. And they can and find the, that online? And the, Metal Goal, and the Metal Goal Club. And uh, it's an expansion. We're going to start a, uh, a uh, we're going to go more on the uh, Instagram and Twitters and stuff. Because a lot of people, I think we have, we do a lot of good things. I know we're doing a lot of good things. And the, the schools that I'm in, they became friends. I bring them to the garden. They rent some, we have some suites sometimes. I bring kids from the other uh, from the schools they've never been to medicine square garden so there's a lot of things that my program myself that we do and i'm very proud of it yeah. well again you know what i know how you feel about yourself now i do know now but i think people like myself look at you in your career first of all you had a fantastic career the things you accomplished but me getting to know you as a person i think you're an even better person now which to me is a huge thing right you're not just sitting around saying i was a hockey player making a difference in people's lives so steph thank you very much for having me on the show here uh you're fantastic and i'm uh, really proud of you I'm proud that I, I call you my friend too so good job thank you very much have Bye a good day guys take care matto the biggest goal in team history and uh, do you remember where you were when he scored yeah, I was back in where was I was in Michigan because it was in the agent business at that time. I remember watching the Rangers during the playoffs and they like, kind of being jealous, like, oh, like I'm playing there. I think, wow, it would be so good. There. But I was also happy for it too. But that goal was good. I didn't know him at the time. Obviously, now we've become pretty good friends. He's a good man. Yeah, it was a great story. And, and just the, the, the humanizing factor that he talked about how he, you know, he had anxiety. He yeah. mentioned Messier's retirement party. He was, he had to leave because of a yeah. panic attack. That doesn't happen to professional athletes, right? Yeah. We don't think it does, but cool. clearly he's a strong man. He helps a lot of people now. He got through the alcohol problems and he's very open talking about it and again i i talked about it on the show that i think people really admire him even more now yes the, the big goal was fantastic but it's like after that's even better absolutely yeah great story and great show all right grasshoppers thank you for listening we had a fantastic show we'll see you next time <laughs>